0: Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for this plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a searching.
1: Scorching east wind to blow on Jonah,
0: the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. This is the reading, is the reading of the word. You may be seated. Am I back up and running yet? Check, check. Hello. So, as they figure out my mic situation, um, I just want to um, point out a couple things here. As I was praying about this message, and the Lord hit me with this this morning, I think there are two big problems in the world. And they are the root of all sin. The first is, we all want to be our own God. right? That's the bottom line. We all want to be God that's been the problem since the garden. And here's the second one. When we do finally come to a place where we believe that there is a God, we want him to be the God we want him to be. So between those two problems, we all want to be God. And then when we say, okay, well, God, you can be God, but we want you to be the God we want you to be, not the God that you are. We're going to see that that is ultimately Jonah's problem, but it's our problem. It's why we're in week five of this short little book. Rather than in a time in our nation that is unprecedented, obviously, rather than do a topical series on leadership or something about what's going on in our world right now in politics, or I think the most important thing we can do is be reminded in the divine sovereignty of the grace of God. And that's what Jonah shows us. Guys, this is not a book about a fish. It's not a book about a rebellious prophet. It's not even a book about national revival when 120,000 Ninevites get saved. It is a book about the divine sovereignty of the grace of God. He is the God He is. And He will save who He will save. And we need to be okay with that. And He's okay with that whether we are or not. So today's message is entitled moved by the moment, but not by mercy. And you're gonna hear a lot of what we heard last week because we're spending f- three weeks in chapter four because frankly, I need to be reminded of the divine sovereignty of the grace of God over and over again. So the question I'm gonna to ask today is, why is it so easy to miss God's moments and God's message? Why is that so easy for us? And the passage we're gonna look at, these four verses are gonna show us two things. First, we think God is obligated to help us live our lives our way. And the second is we believe that comfort and following Christ are one and the same thing. So we're gonna be in Jonah chapter four, but I'm gonna summarize Jonah's one through three quickly in case you have not been here for these past four weeks or so. So open up your Bibles to Jonah. To chapter four is where we'll be, and verse, um, starting in verse five. But if you remember, in Jonah one, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, No, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are crazy. And, and they have perfected meanness, so I'm going to run to Tarshish as far as I can get. So God, He gets on a boat. God creates, causes a storm to come. The storm comes. The, the, the sailors, these pagan men who are supposed to, who, who Jonah ought to be praying for, instead are working hard to save Jonah. Even after God causes the lots, they cast lots to see whose fault the storm is. It falls on Jonah. So there's God's sovereignty. And even after that happens, they still try to save Jonah. But finally, they conv- Jonah convinces them, frankly, to throw him overboard. A fish comes by God's divine grace, saves Jonah from himself, because they could let him, because God could have let him drown, spits him up on a beach. He walks several weeks probably to Nineveh, the heart of the Assyrian Empire. He preaches a horrible message, 40 days and you're dead, and the whole place converts the greatest revival in the history of the world, and Jonah misses it. And we pick it up starting in verse four. So, so first, who did all of that? God orchestrated all of that, right? God orchestrated the storm. He orchestrated the fish. He orchestrated spitting him out. He or- God orchestrated the salvations. It wasn't the message of the prophet. It was the power in proclaiming God's truth and the power of the Holy Spirit that saved those people in Nineveh. But ultimately, God did all the work What is But Jonah has a role to play, unfortunately, and this is why Jonah is such a great study. Jonah is hard-hearted through it all. If we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. So at the end of chapter 3, the whole city repents, and God relents and doesn't destroy them. And instead of being like, praise the Lord for revival, here is the man of God's response. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And we talked about anger and bitterness last week and how easy that is for us. Go get them, God. And the reason is, he says in those, in those verses we looked at last week, I knew you were gonna be this way, God. I knew you were this long-suffering, loving, forgiving God, and I don't want these people forgiven. I want them smited. I want them destroyed. Here's the problem. Jonah didn't realize he is those people. Apart from the grace of God. We are those, whoever those people are. Apart from the grace of God. There is no degree of badness to God. We are all filthy. But for God's cleansing grace. Jonah finally did the right thing. And and that's what we saw at the end of chapter 3. But he did it for completely the wrong reason. And that's what chapter 4 is showing us. Guys, if the book of Jonah was just about a a rebellious prophet, how God's going to get his will done no matter what, and how people are going to get saved by the power of God, then it would have ended at chapter 3. Jonah is about, the book of Jonah is about the divine sovereign grace of God, because this whole interplay, Jonah is going to be all over the map. He's an emotional train wreck at this point. And, and, And the problem is, his heart is, he did the right thing. He finally obeyed God. But it didn't matter because he did it for the wrong reason. In our D group readings, one of the readings this last I think it was this last week was, was again one of the scariest passages in scripture, Matthew chapter seven, where where the people come and they say, We were casting out demons in your name, we were healing people in your name, we were doing all kinds of great gospel stuff in your name. And Jesus looks at him and, and looks at them and he says, Depart from me, because I don't know you. Right? God does not need our help. God did not need Jonah to go to Nineveh. He doesn't need us to be on mission. We're not doing God a favor by, by reflecting his light. We are just being who he's created us to be, if you're really his. right, And so we have to constantly remind ourselves of that. That moti- And you're going to hear me say this multiple times today. Motivation is what matters to God. Our heart motivation is ultimately what matters to God. God's our, Jonah's ministry was just not a ministry of love. He he did the right thing, but from a heart that was that was not right. And so it didn't mean anything. But that's why I wanted, that's why when we when we sang God is so good, and I didn't even know we were doing that today until we were doing it, is, is because if we are angry with God or we are displeased with his will, we cannot possibly be on his mission with the right motivation. If you're sitting here, and, and guys, I, believe me, I get being angry at God. I get shaking my fist and going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I shared that a couple weeks ago. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I, we all we have those seasons, but to stay in those, to steep in those, and, and let yourself just simmer in that anger at God, it will make you completely unaffected. It will, guys, ultimately, God is working his will out for your life. And his will for your life is that you would go into eternity looking as much like Jesus Christ as possible. Because it is forever in eternity that you will be able, you will be most useful to him there the more you look like Jesus. The grace of God is not letting you be you. Right? That, that's what this culture wants. You be you. You be you and I'll be me. And as long as you, you, and, and me doesn't, doesn't conflict with me, me, then we're good to go. The problem is all those competing things, Philosophies are, are starting to, to collide with each other, and that's the mess we see out there. And God is saying, I'm not about letting you be you. I'm about letting you be like Jesus. And I will do whatever it takes to make that happen, even if it means your death. So that's what I loved about that video of Matt Chandler. He's like, every apostle, every disciple in the Bible dies badly. I don't know if you caught that line. That's what God promises, if you want to be honest about it. But guys, guess what? Not a single one of them, not a single one of those disciples, or anybody that's been martyred for the sake of the gospel, because that's still going on, entered into glory and went, oh man, I wasted my life. Not a single one. In fact, every one of those guys, no matter what they went through, including the Apostle Paul, probably entered into glory going, man, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have suffered more, because then i look even more like Jesus than I already do. That is so hard for us. Why is that so hard for us? Because of our first point. We think God is obligated to help us live our lives our way. Look at the first two verses that we're going to look at today, verses five and six. We think that God is obligated to, to do what we want him to do. And guys, I get that, especially in a church like ours, you've been here for very long, like, you, you, you won't, like... Not very few of us would say that out loud. Very few of us would say, oh, yeah, I I, I think I'm I'm saying in in our heart of hearts, in in the deepest, darkest places in our souls, when nobody's around to look, this is what we think. And it shows itself in how we pray and in how we live. So look at, what, look at what it says here. So it says, then Jonah went out from the city. So he's pouting, he's upset. He went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So there is right there already a grace gift. That plant is a supernatural act of God. Jonah is in the middle of arguing with God. He's in the middle of pouting. And God doesn't just, he doesn't punish him. He actually graces him with this plant. We might look at Jonah and go, and especially what we're going to see here in a few minutes, and go, how, how, how hard-hearted can you possibly be, prophet of God? And yet, how easy is it for us to live like, man, God, God is awesome when our lives are going well, and then shake our fists at God when our lives are going poorly by our definition of good and poor. And that's what your table talk question is about. We're going to jump right into it. It says this, how does your faith in God and the condition of your present circumstance relate? How does your faith in God and the condition of your present circumstance relate? Put it another way, is it easier for you to have faith when things are going better or worse why or why not? So take a couple of minutes and talk at your table about is it e- Like, how does your circumstance and your belief and faith in God um, interact? Anybody want to? Sh- anybody want to share something at their table? And it could be, like, for some people, it's um, easier when things are going hard to have faith in God, right? Sometimes that's what, sometimes that's what he's why often that's why he's putting us in hard places. So we'll cry out to him, right? There's no atheists in foxholes. That idea. Anybody want to share a good or a bad? Like what? Like how do they interact? how How does your faith and your circumstance? How do they waver over time? Anybody want to be bold enough to share something? No one.
1: Okay, so. Um, I just told my table group, I was like, I'm a teacher. And so like, when I asked my class, would anyone share and no one does, I'm like, so disappointed. So I'm like, I'm not going to disappoint Doug. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, anyway, we kind of discussed like true faith is actually easier to have, we think, when things are going, quote, unquote, worse, because Hebrews defines faith as faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And when things are going well, we tend to rely on things we see. So we rely on ourselves. We rely on finances. We rely on, you know, the government or whatever. Um, but true faith steps in when things are going poorly, and it's like everything we see and everything that we relied on and thought was stable is ripped out from under us. And so we have to be certain of what we hope for, which is future glory, and um, certain of what we do not see, which is um, God.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I, Karen and I were praying that even on the way over here um, as we were coming down today, just that like for, for us, for, for most, of, um, most of my struggles come down to perspective problems. Like most of my struggles in my faith walk and, and, and trusting God come down to perspective problems because we're, we're caught, I'm so caught up in holding on to what I have here and now whether it's my health, whether it's my family's safety, whether, what, those, those things which are, which are understandable. We all wrestle, right? Like, it's, like I'm not up here to say, you know what, if, if you've got a child who's sick, praying for physical healing for that sick child is, is not having an eternal perspective because the best thing for that child would be for them to enter into glory if they're saved. I, the reality is the best thing for that child, honestly, would be for them to enter into glory. I'm not saying, I would, I'm not praying that. If it's my kid, if it's your kid, Right, it's because that's who we are. But it's because we've bought into a like the thing that frustrated the snot out of the out of the, that Paul frustrated the Romans with so much was there was no way they could get to him because he didn't care if he died. He really believed for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So what are you going to do to that? He's like, kill me. I don't care. I'll go be with Jesus. Well, fine. I'll I'll throw, we're going to throw you. We're going to beat you severely. We're going to throw you in jail. Good. I'll convert your jailer. I don't care. What are you going to do? Right, it's like it's 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 so different, and yet we struggle. And and here's the beauty of our Savior—he gets it, and that's something that Karen and I are talking about. He doesn't just theorize what it's like to, in a moment, wrestle with faith. He had that moment in the Garden, and he gets our wrestle in his humanity. Guys, find keep your finger in Jonah. Find John chapter twenty-one. It's the very end of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the fourth gospel in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far. John 21. And as you're doing that, here's part of how Jesus gets it. Not only did he have that moment in in the garden, but his disciples who were with him struggled. You heard in our calling passage that in one minute, that Brian read in one minute, Peter is saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The next minute, he's pulling Jesus aside to rebuke him. Right. We also know, I mean, Peter is infamous, poor guy, for denying Christ three times when he's on trial. And he didn't just, like, quietly deny Christ. He verbally, like, in abusive language, cursed that I did not know who Jesus is because he was so afraid he was going to join him in the suffering. Now, flash forward, death, burial, resurrection. Jesus has not yet ascended. In, In John chapter, I guess I ought to turn there too, in John chapter 21, here's this beautiful scene, and he, and he says this, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. So, so what's happened now is Jesus has not yet ascended, and, and, and well, I'm going to back it up. Let me, um, let me back up to right in right verse 3 of chapter 21. Here's Peter once again being Peter. Simon Peter, or it says in verse 3, so Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So all this three years of walking with Jesus, all this, you're going to be fishers of man, all this stuff. Peter, out the window, he goes, I'm going back to my old life. They're out there. They're not catching anything. You guys, maybe you know the story. They catch, you know, they, 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 they catch a bunch of fish. It reminds them of another time in their life. Oh, my goodness. That's Jesus. Peter strips down, swims over to see him. And we're going to pick it up here in verse 15. So when they had finished having breakfast, so Jesus cooked for them. That was nice of him. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, You know that I love you. And he said to him, Then tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, You know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon son of John, Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, guys, here's, and, I, and I've taught on this passage before, and we might even actually come back to it in a few weeks at retreat, Lord willing. But you guys, but get this. The reason that whole scene, there's a lot of interplay there that I don't know, that I'm not going to go into right now, but there's this interplay of two kinds of love. Jesus is asking Peter, do you agapao me? Do you love me more than anything else in the world? And Peter keeps answering him, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. And then the third time Jesus says it to Peter, he says, Peter, do you even phileo me? Like he's saying to Peter, Peter, do you even really like me? Because from where I'm sitting, Peter, it's not looking like it. Right? And that's what grieved Peter. Now we know what happens at Pentecost and he gets saved. He gets the Holy Spirit on him and he's now bold for the gospel. But, but, but Jesus gets our wrestle. But he's tying our love for him to two things. If we truly love Jesus, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to love people. Tend my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my sheep. Now jump down real quick to verse 19. The second half of verse 19, he says, so he's like, okay, Peter, let's you and I go for a walk. And he's walking with Peter, and he says, and he looks at Peter, and he says to him, you follow me, and it's very emphatic, it's a command. Verse 20, Peter turns around, still distracted by the world, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saying, and then he, and he looks at him and he says, Lord, uh, and then in verse 21, he says, so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? So, so Jesus is trying to drive Peter to a place and Peter can't not be distracted by the world. He sees John back there and he's like, yeah, but what about him? Is he supposed to follow too? Because I'm leaving everything to follow. What about him? And Jesus looks at him and he says, if I want him to remain until I come again, he's basically saying, What difference does it make to you what I do with John? You follow me. And that's God's call on every one of our lives sitting here. He's saying, stop worrying about what this person is or isn't doing, or that ministry is or isn't doing, and you just do what I've made you to do. And it's tied, us loving him is tied to two things loving people and following hard after God. And actually, the retreat, our our theme for retreat in two weeks remember, no church here on, on Sunday, two weeks from now. Next Sunday, yes. Two weeks from now, no. We're all up the hill. You can find out more during our time of fellowship afterwards. But ultimately, what he's saying is, if you want to, if you really say you love me, you are, one, going to be on mission loving people, and two, you're going to follow hard after my will for your life, regardless of how hard you think it is. So the question today is, why is it so easy for us to miss God, um, God moments, and God's message? The first is because we think that God is obligated to let us live our lives our way. Right, there's we saw in this in this first thing. So if you go back to Jonah chapter four, there's no acknowledgement coming here for thank you, Lord, for the plant. There's no like humility of Lord. I know I have been an obstinate baby, I know I have been a rebellious prophet, I know I've been a reluctant disciple. There's none of that. He's just like, Oh, cool, miracle plant. God rocks, I love it. Right? But why is it so easy for us to say, guys, guys, I mean, understand, like, I can hear nine positive things, and the, the thing I'll remember is the one negative thing I hear, and that's true with our relationship with the Lord, too. The Lord could bless you with nine different things, whatever those things would be for you, and the one thing you think he should have blessed you with that you didn't get is the thing you're going to remember. Right. If I look at Carrie and I'm like, man, Carrie, you're an amazing mom, you're a wonderful wife, you're, a, you're a, a wonderful homemaker, I'm so proud of how you're doing in school. But you know what, that dress makes you look a little heavy. That's what she's going to remember, right? Like, it's just the way we are. And it's no different for Jonah. And God knows that about Jonah, so he is going to help Jonah see that this dress makes him look a little heavy. So here we go, verse 7. But, guys, I should stick to my notes. But God... Appointed a worm so here's god's sovereign grace again god appoints a worm right when when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered so he kills the plant oh like supernaturally then get this one verse eight when the sun came up god appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die saying death is better for me than life. Wait a second. What happened to the shade that Jonah built for himself in verse 5? Before the plant even came, God destroyed it with a scorching east wind. God is removing all of Jonah's comfort. And guys, he will do the same thing to you and I to get our attention. Why? Because he's mean? No. Because he wants to clear away the junk so that we can see him clearly. He wants Jonah. He wants nothing to come between he and Jonah. And Jonah just keep m- keeps missing it. Jonah has has been trying to define God the way he wants to define God from the beginning. I want to pick who you save. I want to pick how you do it. I want to pick how you, how you help me live. Guys, he wants God to be the God he wants. And that's how we tend to live. That's how we tend to pray. That's guys. I, I mentioned it earlier. I Praying for physical healing is awesome. Jesus is way more interested in emotional and spiritual healing. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus spends far, in fact, the passage that, that Jeff Dawkins read, it's, it was our memory passage, I think, for this week, right that when he looked out at the crowds, his heart broke for them. Why? Because they were physically ill and deformed? No, because they were dispirited and distressed. And they didn't even—meaning they were emotional train wrecks—and they didn't even know they needed a spiritual shepherd. And his heart broke for them. The question becomes: Does ours, or are we like Jonah? Jonah's in good company. Elijah, guys, you remember this? I mean, Elijah. Call. This is in First. We're not going to turn yet, but in First Kings 18 and 19, great story. Elijah, probably the most powerful prophet of God until John the Baptist comes, according to Jesus. He shows up, he lived he lived before Jonah did. He shows up, prays fire down on Mount Carmel. They slaughter 400 false prophets. Man, this is, they're on a high, this is like as high, high note as you can be as a prophet, I'm guessing, right? And one lady says, I'm coming to get you. And Jonah runs and hides in the desert. And he actually wanders out in the desert and he says these words, it is enough now, Lord, take my life because I am all alone. Wait, what? You just saw God call fire down on a mountain and you slaughtered 400 p- prophets, false prophets of God. And, and within days, you're going, I'm all, well guys, what is Jonah seeing? Jonah is up on a hill watching 120,000 people praising God and he's going, it is enough now, just kill me because my plant died and I'm getting sunburned. But guys, don't we do that? Here's why we do that. Because the gospel we've been preaching in this country for too long, and, and frankly exporting to other nations is a gospel of comfort. Put on Jesus and your life will be better. That is that's just nowhere in scripture. It's just not. It is there is nowhere in scripture that says, put on Jesus because he's like a parachute. And 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 he's going to save you when the plane crashes. But he's also going to make your plane. He's, he's going to move you to first class in the plane. No, you put on Jesus because the plane is going to crash. The parachute makes you less comfortable if you're sitting in the seat. But when you jump out of the crashing plane, praise Jesus for the parachute. That's what we need to be about as the body of Christ. And it's when we can go. You know what sitting in this seat with this silly parachute on feels uncomfortable it feels awkward it's getting in the way of my happiness I can't see the movie they're playing on the TV on the on the plane whatever whatever those things are but we can go but you know what it is ultimately the best possible thing I could be wearing because this plane is going down it's in that moment that we go okay now we're really able to live on mission but if we're lamenting the uncomfortableness of the parachute we will not be on mission for Christ. There's just no way. Guys, I'm, we're going we're gonna to finish up with this, and I really am wrapping up my time here, and, and we're not having communion today like we normally would because we're going to have our family gathering afterwards, but we're just going to have a short time of response in song, and then we'll enter right into our family meeting, and we'll have uh, lunch and stuff, so we're going to kind of end this part a little early. But guys, turn, if you would, back to where we were in the calling passage, passage in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to end with reading sort of the part of the rest of that passage that, that Brian got us going in, in the uh, calling. Mark chapter 8 and in verse 34. Guys, I, from, from a, I, I, I want to be careful how I say this, because I didn't write it down, but guys, from, a, from a worldly perspective, following Christ is insane. And it should look that way. If, if the reason you're following Christ is so you can drive a big SUV because you see a bunch of big SUVs of people that look like they're, that, that say they're Christians, that's not why you should be following Christ. Following Christ should look so otherworldly that you can't believe, that, that, that other people are like, that's crazy talk. Like, why in the world would you give all that up, give all that up, right, in order to follow after a dead guy? That's what they should be asking us. Because he's not dead. Because he rose again. And because he calls us to, it's what Brian, it's what Brian Tootin led us through. He calls us to die. He calls us to die to self. The call to follow Christ is a call to be crucified. Every day. Right? This is what Jesus tells us. And we, we have to be willing to embrace that. And guys, I get it. It's hard. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus gets it. He's not just standing back and going, suffer for me, because I am God. He came down here. And it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Guys, I say this with all, it, it doesn't matter what you're going through. He went through worse. Do you get that? No matter how hard, no matter how much you've hurt, some of you have lost precious loved ones. Guys, there are real scars, and every one of those scars makes us look more like Christ. We cannot enter into glory looking like Jesus without scars. If you don't have any, get some. Honestly, live a life where you're scarred a little bit. Because otherwise, you're probably just playing games with Jesus, and he's not into playing games. He never has been. Look at what he says, starting in verse 34. And he summoned the crowd and his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? As we enter into just a time of response, guys, can you, can I, thank him and praise him for his will for your life, regardless of how uncomfortable it is right now? Because I again, I know there are people in here who have who have experienced pain and scarring that I cannot imagine. I get it, but here's the beauty of it. I'll say it one more time. So. Does he? He gets it. Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm all alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, but I've been rejected by the people that I love. When he was on the cross, there was no one there. Yeah, but Lord, you don't get it. You don't get how hard it is to live a life where people just think you're flat out crazy. I do because my own people when I came to them did not receive me I read this last week I'll probably read it next week too time is short eternity long death is certain and Christ is coming Heaven is too lovely and hell too horrible to waste time trying to win arguments about trivial things of this world. He's asking us as we just respond in song, do you love me and love my people? Love what I love. So Father, I just come to you, Lord, and I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the beautiful truth of the gospel. I thank you for the truth that that we are all sinners, But God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. Gave us the freedom that was prayed about earlier. The grave could not hold you, death could not entangle you. You you busted out, you rose again, you will come again in glory, and you will make all things new. But Lord, you leave us here right now for a reason. And some of those reasons are that we might collect scars. So may we be a people who who only supernaturally, by your power, because we understand your gospel truth in our lives, may we be able to celebrate the scarring. May we be able to just praise you in all circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our lives, in our family, in our nation. May we be able to say, praise Jesus. He is coming again, and this is bringing us closer. Lord, you were you were about the business of making Jonah look less like Jonah and more like Jesus. And Jonah missed it. Don't let us miss it. Don't let me miss it. Help us to embrace whatever it is you ordain by your sovereign grace to put in our lives to conform us into the image of the beauty of the one who gave his life for us. For his glory and the fame of his name. Amen.